Okay, we've got an interview today. Um, the last bookshop in the world um, in Japan, as it's titled. And I'm interviewing a character in the bookshop. He's been a regular since we uh, first opened. Um, avid buyer of books and a musician. Um, his name is, well, let him introduce himself. Hello, everybody. Chris. Uh, what's your full name? Chris Watley. Chris nice, Watley. Nice to meet you, Nick. All right, darling. It's good to see you uh, again, as usual. It's a Friday night in the bookshop. It's around nine o'clock. Um, Chris, you've been coming in here for six years. You're a legend in your own right, mind, whatever, which way you want to put it. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what are you doing in Japan at the moment? I try to depend on... Uh, Music. Okay, and anything else? It's like interviewing Colonel Reeves, but here we go. He's even improved. <laughs> <laughs> even he's improved after the years. <laughs> so, music and uh, other stuff like teaching, etc. Yeah. yeah, you could put it that way. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And how's it going through the COVID 19 job? If you're surviving, everything's okay. I'm having fun actually. Okay. How so? Because there's no commute involved. Uh -huh. I get to spend a lot of time at home. Okay. With the fam, with the people that matter. Okay. So it's all good. Okay. Okay, we're going to go back to the bookshop because this is pretty much why we're doing these interviews. Um, what was the first book that influenced you or that you remember reading as a kid? Oh, Papillon. Really? It was the first book I remember reading as a kid. Yeah. Do you remember who it was written by? Some, fr some French dude that called himself Papillon. <laughs> Wasn't it made into a movie as well? It was, yeah. It was Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. Oh, right. yeah. it was a good movie as well, yeah. Ah, the book was better. Yeah, I, I actually I read, that that in, I read that in high school. When did you read it? Oh, I was probably... 11 when I read that. Right. Well. Henry, what was his name? Come Henry on, something, yeah, yeah. Even I don't remember, so. Henry, he was Henry. It was probably a different fake name, anyways. Hmm. Nondegur, you might say. Nondegur. Yeah. Good book. Why did you like it? Adventure. The shock factor of it, I guess. Well, him escaping, or? Oh, and before all that, like the brutality of the. The life that he'd led, the brutality of what he saw, of what he had to go through, and then him escaping. But I found out after the fact that it's basically a pack of lies, right? I don't. I, 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 I actually, I read it so long ago, and I've, I've, I remember hearing those stories. But what what were the pack of lies? I mean, he escaped on some coconut. I remember he he put these coconuts in a in a hessian sack, and he floated back over to. Uh, you know the mainland, but that's all I remember. But right. w was it the 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 coconuts were weren't really coconuts? <laughs> escaping from the leprosy island, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they didn't get leprosy for some reason. Mm. What do you read nowadays? I mean, that's the biography. I mean, do you still read biographies? Or no, right now I'm getting through uh, the Madness of Crowds by Douglas Murray. What's that about? 
Oh, Christ. How do I explain? Well, simply, it's about the madness of crowds. Well, can you condense it and just tell us what the madness of crowds means under his uh, depiction of it? I suppose he takes everything that's going on in the world right now and puts it in a way that's understandable to people that aren't bogged down with the ideology and tribalism of the current existence we have as demonstrated by taking one look at Facebook or the mainstream media maybe, I don't know So how far are you into the book? Yeah page two there weren't any pictures there. <laughs> so do you expect to get any further though? <laughs> stick on page two, it's safe. Who will put you onto that book anyway? I don't know. I, I suppose it's probably um, just floating around on YouTube and looking at different things and looking at different people's perspectives. Right. And realising that basically everything that comes across in the news these days the media is um, not really giving anybody an accurate picture of what is actually going on in the world. So I'm just happy to uh, listen to different opinions and uh, try to surprise myself. Okay. Have you ever picked up a book from this bookshop that's really changed your way of thinking? Oh, fucking tons of them. Any examples? I was going to say Catherine Cookson, but <laughs> only because there were nice pictures on the front cover. Uh, we sold many a Catherine Cookson, I tell you. <laughs> now, the one thing I love about coming in here is that I'm always surprised by just finding random books. So maybe I'll pick up some Dawkins, or wonderful thing about here is there's always a bunch of books hanging around on the counter that haven't been put on the shelves yet, and I'll just take a random selection and read them. and genuinely enjoy myself good so I mean I remember when I first opened this place which was seven years ago and you came in and uh, we got to know each other and you, you actually recommended a book to me um, by the writer what's his name uh, Jordan Peterson oh that controversial old that sort. controversial old sort as you might say and there's a lot of people who are anti him and pro him etc what do you feel about now because I mean it's it's five years later you pass that book on to me. Um, we both read it. I just think about lobsters all the time, but there you go, I'm just warped. And now the politics, even the media has changed so much. What do you think about Jordan Peterson now? And what he wrote then? Is it relevant now? Is it? Well, I think so, because it seems to me that anybody that likes to have a beef with him hasn't read him. And uh, they're stuck in a little ideological bubble and refuse to uh, open their minds to the fact that people uh, that like to describe themselves as liberals have become very much illiberal. Describe Jordan Peterson got, I thought was sort of, yeah, that's a little bit strange because actually he's just been labelled as something that he's not. Not that I necessarily agree with everything he says, but... I remember I watched on YouTube, there was a... Don't give us a lie. A debate or something with um, your English guy. Do you remember the English guy, the debate with him? I, I forget the... What's his name, the English guy? The, the most famous English guy who's very intelligent. And he's very liberal. What's his name? 
anyway, he, he had a debate and it was on actually the side of him. And they were very, very opposite, but they actually got on together in a certain way, even though the two polar opposites, it was, it was amazing. It was very interesting the way they, they did it. They were actually fighting against some big. Who are we talking about right now? And who's on? Um, do you remember? Do you remember um, a comedy show in England and there was two guys? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeeves and. Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that? Jeeves and Worcester Sauce. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And who was who was in that comedy show? Mm. There was one guy called yeah, Hugh Laurie and the other guy was called. Yeah. Uh, What's it called? Uh, Steve Davis. <laughs> Anyway, we both know what we're talking about, yeah? <laughs> Let's move away from politics, because it's really crap and boring, though. I remember putting down a book, I threw in a book against war because it was so fucking stupid. Yes. Uh, Saul Kripke. Uh, I forget the fucking exact title, but it was like... Uh, who's, who's this author? I, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was it was fucking horrible. Is it like six hundred pages long? Right. And basically, Saul Kripke argued that two plus two equals five. <laughs> and does it? Well, this is it. This is his uh, kind of uh, understanding of Wittgenstein's philosophy, which yeah, that that sort of uh, twisted me head for a little bit. Yeah, I like Wittgenstein, but I never understood what the hell he was on about. <laughs> exactly. Well, two plus two equals five. <laughs> yeah. I think Wittgenstein was trying to say. You can speak for your numbers instead of just speaking. It's a waste of time just speaking, isn't it? Yeah, most possibly. <laughs> That's why he killed himself. But anyway, there's no did literate he, people in this bookshop. Did he really? I well, don't know. I, I pretty much, I, I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Don't <laughs> quote me. <laughs> I've never been quoted anyway. So, um, yeah, back to that. So, well, actually, thank you for asking the question. But yeah, I've, I've actually thrown a book against the wall. And I only got through the first two chapters. Oh, I see. This was a leading question. Yeah, yeah, but you don't ask Let me people. ask It's you, all about you. What was the first book you threw against the wall? Dan Brown. In <laughs> was it the, the Winchy Code? Yeah, it was that, yeah. He just did my head in. Because he was, well, for me, he was plagiarising a, a non-fiction book. And, you know, people can look that up and whatever, whatever way they look into it. But it was a great book, the non-fiction book. Um, but let's would not go you, into would, that. Would you say he plagiarised it? Plagi I've got a list. Plagiarised. Yeah. See, the <laughs> list is going to come out on the podcast, but you know, it's all therapeutic for me and cathartic. How do you say that word? Cathartic? Cathartic. Yeah. Arctic. Mm. Well, well, anyway, <laughs> I'm going to develop a stutter for this as well for my nervousness of interviewing you. How about um, your family? You know, do you have any brothers, sisters? How did you grow up? How did oh, you get over here? Two sisters. Two little sisters. All right. Tell mm. us about them. My littlest sister lives in Bristol now. She's doing very well for herself. Okay. What's she do? Saving the world. And has she saved it yet? Uh, she's working on it. She's doing a good job. Well, how's she saving it? That's a good question, but she's doing her best. Okay. She's a, she's a better person than you or I, mate. Fucking right, yeah. yeah. And the other one? Well, I haven't spoken to her for a while, but I'm sure she's doing her own little bit as well. Is she saving the world, or she's uh, doing a different kind of like jobbing? Mm, she's uh, she's just on in a on in a world of her own that she's <laughs> <laughs> trying to do her best with. That's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not get too intense on the family. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about your father and mother? You have a father and mother. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, father's doing great. 
What was he doing? He's now uh, rebuilding his house in Southern Wales, Carmarthen. Shout out to Daddy. Good old Nige. Where's Carmarthen? Southern Carmarthen, Wales. Carmarthen, Southern Wales. So like from uh, fuck, Cardiff. It's about an hour on the train from there. Down the coast. But you're not Welsh. No, no, no. I was born in South London. I haven't lived in England for 20 odd years, so can barely call myself English. What about your mother? What's she doing? Oh, I'm just lying in bed all day, every day. Right. That's a <laughs> She's saving the world as well, aren't you? Well, more or less, yeah. <laughs> okay, so what about Next you? question. Okay, what about... <laughs> <laughs> You don't get too deep with uh, Chris, it's just one of those things. What brought you to in, uh, Japan? I came over to Japan for an adventure. Were you a student or were you came out for a job or what was the details of So, I was touring with a band around Europe and got finished with that and then realised what So the you were in a band before? And then I went to my university careers library where they had an A to Z of companies. And I just went to A, pulled it out, was flipping through it, came up Eon, teach English in Japan. And I was like, oh, okay. Sounds like a bit of a trip. So I applied to that. Turned the job down, and then realized I made, well, maybe a little mistake there, so. why did you turn the job down? Because I was like, what, what the fuck am I doing? Why, I don't want to teach English. Okay. So I turned it down. How old were you then? Oh, Jesus Christ. 21, maybe? So you fresh out of university, then? Yeah, and I toured two around Europe. What was the tour thing? I, I don't know about this. So. Yeah, I was uh, ridiculous. I don't remember much about it either. <laughs> One of those tours? Yeah. Do you... You gonna name the band? Was it a famous band or not famous? Or not famous whatsoever. What were you doing in the band? Were you playing? Oh, playing guitar. Okay, singing or no, just guitar. Just guitar. Just how did you get into the band? Because uh, nobody else wanted to do the gig. Okay, but how did? I mean, there must have been a name because they toured fucking. No, not at all. Just uh, rough and shoddy punk rock music. Okay. And then that finished, and then I was at a loss end, so I ended up coming to Japan for the first time, and that's when I met my wife, because I met her. So how did you get to Japan? You said you gave in, well, you, you refused e Eon, and what, what, what happened? No, I ended up taking that job, and okay. I got fired. In Japan? In Japan, yeah. Right. But I still had the visa, so I just stayed on. And you met your wife how? I actually met my wife in San Francisco a few years before that and bumped into her in Shinjuku. What, just randomly bumped into In the middle, in the middle of the, 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 the high street? Yep. You, you're fucking me, yeah? That's, that's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. What, you, you noticed her amongst all these other she noticed black me. haired She knows She noticed me, and it was uh, Junko from San Francisco. Well, I'd only met, met her once at a uh, very, very turned on party in uh, San Francisco while I was traveling around. So what, what do you mean turned on party? What was going on there? Well, I was the only straight man in the fucking place. Right. And uh, so Junko used to live with um, 
Oh yeah, I was I was shacked up at the time with um, her roommate, who her other roommates assumed was with another woman. Right. But it turned out that she wasn't, and all her roommates were very much gay and into the San Francisco gay scene. Okay. This was what? What year was this? That uh, would have been. Early on, uh, so 1999. 1999. Wow. Mm. Right. How do you end up in America anyway? That was in uh, during university. So you were studying overseas. Yeah, I got uh, an uh, what do you call it? What do they call it? A scholarship. That's it. Scholarship. Scholarship. So I went to study at Madison, Wisconsin. What was the scholarship for? For studying philosophy and politics. Wow, okay. Hence the Wittgenstein dropping. No, they dropped that on me in the first year while I was in in the UK at university. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's just uh, my life is just a bundle of coincidences and like happenstance, whatever. So you're, you're in Japan, um, you met her on a, sorry, your now wife, you met her on a, a street in Shinjuku. By pure chance. Yep. Do you remember what you said? Or what she, did she run up to you and go, God, Chris, I remember that face. No, she would have been way more aggressive than that. But she just came up and punched you for something you'd done before. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? Oh, well, it was more or less that, yeah. She came up and punched you and said, give me my money back. So we had our first fight on that first event for the evening. <laughs> um, yeah, that was 20 years ago. No looking back. Okay, and then you you were working here. How, how mm. Did you get married straight away or you were mm. dating or what happened? Well, God bless Junko, I love her to pieces. So we were uh, courting. Okay. Well, as, as you, you do, say. as you do, as you would say. And then we decided to move in together. Okay. And then we decided to make children together. Okay. And, and you were still teaching, or but I mean, the, the music scene for you started in some way, so you're missing out a part of that. That's a custom. Actually, if you keep on hearing this sound, it's it's that uh, um, customers walking in and out of the bookshop. It's actually not that, they're actually walking around. There's not that many customers. Ignore it, because Chris has got this, still this fantastic, well, fantastic story to tell us. Okay, so you're here, but where where did your music scene start? Well, I've always played music. It's always been something I loved. I never realized that I'd make any money out of it, but eventually somehow I did. So then I just decided to keep plugging away at it. Okay, and how did that turn out? <coughs> yeah, pretty good. So for the past, I would say 15 years, I've made my living more or less exclusively from music that I've made either for, well, mostly for TV shows in the States. Okay, can you name a TV show? 
Well, you know, my mate Brad Pitt told me not to name drop. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't. But yeah. that, that's you. You do. You, you make music and you sell it to. I mean, for the layman's terms, well, how do you make money out of music? Well, how does Scott Joplin make music from make money from this? Exactly. Hey? Yeah. Okay, we're taking off that little bow chime. Door chime. Um, yeah, how do you make you, money from you're music? You're exactly like you. So how do you make money out of music? Well, how did you in those days? Well, I still do a little bit. So the process, what? Well, how did I first get into it? So I got approached by the producers of, fucking, what was it? Um, uh, God, the name of the TV show. Desperate Housewives. Oh, Desperate Housewives. I used to watch that. Religiously, yeah. yeah. So they used a Before bunch of my you. music, mm-hmm. and then that just opened a bunch of doors, and then suddenly I could make a little bit of money from music. But you were in a band touring before all that shit, yeah. Yeah. You care to mention who you were touring with, or how that happened, or how that turned out? Well, I mean, oh Jesus, that was so long ago, and it's like it doesn't even exist anymore. I'll tell you a funny thing I realised recently is that when I was 16 I used to go down to Cornwall all the time uh-huh. and I used to hang out with my really dear friends uh, Will and Alex Smith Alex went on to play with a band in the in the, in the, uh, the southwest of England called Root Juice that nobody's going to know that's listening to this but they had a hardcore following and I forget my train of thought now were you asking me something serious? yeah I was asking you who you were touring with when you were in Japan etc because I've heard the story before but I do not for the life of me remember the the the, the major band who it was and how it, oh I mean, that guy the big yeah, guy the big yeah. guy well, just tell, yeah. tell us tell us I mean let's get this over oh, okay with. so I'm sure there's nobody listening to this whatsoever, so... Well, hopefully not, huh? <coughs> I was lucky enough to be invited to play in Yazawa Eikichi's band. Okay, and who is he? I mean... He's like, uh, I'd say like the Japanese Elvis, is the only way okay. to explain it. How do you get into that gig? Pure happenstance. I, uh, I think I was playing at the Dickens, actually. So the Dickens is the pub in Ebisu, right? Yeah. Right, which I'm mentioning here, yeah. John and everything. Yeah. Got a lot of love for that place. And I exchanged, or somebody gave me a business card and I sent them an email. And about two weeks later I got an email and they asked me to come for an audition. I had no idea what it was for. And then probably like four weeks after that I was on the road with this band, with this guy. He's, uh, Japanese legend. Did you know how big he was then, or you just no. thought, yeah, oh girl, this is a gig? You had no idea? No idea whatsoever. So the first day I showed up to rehearsals, I bumped into uh, Zach Delaroche. It's like, what the fuck is this guy doing here? The singer from Rage Against the Machine. Okay. So they'd been using wow. his studio to rehearse in. So I'm like, what 
Mm, okay, alright, whatever. So I'd learned all the music and I'm like, ah, oh, why is this guy here? And then I saw them all like loading out their gear and then the band for Yazawa loads in and then that was it. And where did you go? I did a tour around Japan. Okay. Um, Christ, I can't remember where. Oh, I was like, your Costa was the first gig we did, right. and that blew my mind because Yazawa's fans are just so dedicated to him. It's crazy. But were you were you overwhelmed with the size of the audiences and the the gigs and etc. First show wasn't too bad. There was probably a thousand, two thousand people there. I wasn't overwhelmed by the size of the venue, but the the absolute energy of the fans just blew my mind. Right. It blew my mind. And like the first two, three songs, I couldn't hear shit that we were playing. Right. Because the audience were making so much noise. Right. And you were, you were touring, so you were in the bus, or you stayed in the hotels, and... Yeah, um, when you're touring as a poor musician, you generally scab it, but... What's that mean? We're just, like, fucking sleep wherever. Right. But, um, on the Yazawa tours, it was, um, just first class the whole way. Right, so... Beautiful. You had hotel rooms and sweets, <coughs> sweets, drinks, sandwiches. Did you get sandwiches as well? <laughs> yeah, a glass Didn't of port. Eat any of them. <laughs> did you have any books along the way? Did you read them? <laughs> I did actually. What was I reading? Like I, I had to start the book over and over again because I was generally a little yep. bit trashed. Right. Do you remember what book it was? No, but it must have been good. Yeah, if you trust. If you remember that, I'd like to uh, input that into uh, one of the later podcasts. This won't be the last interview. So, I mean, how long did that tour last? That was about two months. Right. And did that lead on to other good stuff with the music scene, though? No, not for me. That was it? That was your heyday, though? I wouldn't say heyday, it was just an experience. It was like a box checked. Because growing up as a kid, I always wanted to perform in front of a lot of people. Right. And on that tour, we did. We did a bunch of arenas around Japan. <coughs> which is, oh God, it's, it's an amazing experience. When, to walk out onto a stage in front of 20, 30,000 people, just, I, I defy anybody not to be moved by that. It's incredible. It's a really uh, surreal experience. And you were touring, and had your kid been born yet? or not? Yeah, he was like six months old at the time. And how did the old woman take to you touring and you know, staying in flashy hotels and being the big boy? Big guy. Well, I wasn't the big guy. I was like... Uh, the wrapping paper if you like okay but i just got to vicariously see what it meant to be a pop star right and realized what a pack of nonsense it was pack of nonsense i mean you've got a band now called the dirty teach yeah and you play regularly in the dickens and 
Only the Dickens these days. Yeah, well, these days are different days. You know, this is mm. the heady times, you might say. But you, you're a big headliner for the Dickens. But how do you start off the the Dirty Teeth? Oh, is there something in between that? Did you do any other gigs with famous people or whatever? Or am I missing something out that I should be asking? Or don't know, really. I'm not a very good interviewee, am I? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a very good interviewer. So, I mean, we're, 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 we're learning our chops on this, yeah? Um, well, good things that happen with... Well, so, okay. You have, well, the date tees and nobody that knows probably nobody knows we started recording for fun in wow it must be like 10 years ago now and uh, there's a coincidence the first time I'd ever heard of the big boss that I ended up on the tour with we actually used his studio to record our first album Anyways, <coughs> did that one, and then uh, we ended up playing a. Uh, we ended up as the resident band in the Hilton Hotel in uh, Niseko okay. for a season. How was that? It was fantastic because I only had to play music for an hour a day. And the rest of the time I was snowboarding. It was fucking amazing. Cool. Um, do you do you want to continue music, or would you like to move on to different paths? I mean, again, like we say, it's heady times. A lot of bars, a lot of places, venues to to play music and do creative stuff. You might call it. It's it's kind of like not lockdown, but there's not a lot of choices we have nowadays. Are you still into the music scene? I'm very much into music still. But I think, what do I think about this? Let me give you something. Like, I realized, I realized a long time ago that as soon as the digital world took over, it meant that the exhaustibility and the expendability of music that used to exist so you used to have a CD right mm. only one person could have it okay right it was exhaustible there was mm. a supply demand right let's say a record and that record might get worn out so it was exhaustible so it only a certain number of plays mm. Mm. as soon as those two things disappeared so the exhaustibility and the excludability, let's say, excludability, so that not everybody could have it. As soon as those two things disappeared and everything became a digital one zero format, mm. everything became universal. It basically destroyed the value of music. And it's taken a while, because I'm still making uh, something out of music but I think the value of music is basically zero unless you have a really good brand mm -hmm. um, you're not going to make shit from music the mm -hmm. value of music is zero well, well, Spotify I, I would say 
and can I just interrupt on that part because I'm a bookseller and we've, we've seen this transition from books to the digital not the digital but the the, the Kindle and all these ebooks etc and that is something that is trying to eat away at the actual original paper and glue as we say the the bits of mortar sellers etc would you say the same thing is happening with the music scene that's what I just said isn't it yeah well kind of is it, is it is it so much the same because I mean people have gone back to vinyl yeah and people say to me oh people will always love books but <laughs> in, in, indie bookshops close every day around the world right um, vinyl book uh, vinyl record shops are opening you know it's, it's a big fashion thing you know? and and if, even if I used to all my music was recording on Bass F TDK on C90s you know tape cassettes was my big thing yeah right. massive yeah but we don't use tape cassettes anymore but vinyl is is there still yeah I've got friends who've got new record players it's becoming a more and more popular format because mm. it sounds better it sounds better. It sounds better, and and you have something tangible, you, you can hold in your hands and, and look at it. I, I remember when I was a kid, like getting really excited for the next release. Okay. You know. Yeah. So but these I, days, yeah. these days, like I mean, nobody gets that excitement. I don't think. Mm. So what was the last album you bought? I don't think you might pick that up. Did you buy an album? Have you bought vinyl? Recently? No, because like if I listen to music, it's it's on one of those uh, streaming services. Right. So there's no reason to buy physical things anymore. Okay. I have friends that are doing very, very well with selling vinyl. Okay. And they're... Building their brand through selling vinyl, and also touring the world and being very successful. But I think uh, the the music business has always been something that is very very shifty and twisted, but it's only becoming more so. Okay. Because it's impossible for new artists now to break through unless they have a brand that is so so strong and it has nothing to do with music it has more to do with maybe social networking or what do you call it I don't know I'm an, a dinosaur basically compared to this shit you remember MySpace? yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. well so nobody done, listens yeah. to this is going to remember it so MySpace and all these things they're so ephemeral it seems but unless you're on them you're not going to make a living even uh let's say artists that I really love like um, Happy Mondays mm -hmm. Sean Ryder can't make a living out of music anymore that's why he goes on these fucking stupid be a reality porn star or whatever it is I've never seen him <laughs> is really? it porn star or like like be a reality fucking dickhead on TV really something. Well. but then TV is almost dead as well I think I think so I mean the the, the whole idea of I don't know. Actually, I think TV in itself has basically done a turnaround. I, 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 I think it started back in the 
late 90s anyway with um, six feet under um, movies is a dying art form because instead of condensing something that should be fleshed out through seven episodes or 13 it's condensed so badly through a movie form it's like a book you, you can never make a book into a movie but my god you can make seven 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 episodes twelve episodes of Papillon but one and a half hours of Papillon you just don't flesh it out do you <laughs> it's, it's not going to work is it that's why I love books Is but also that's why I love this new genre of TV series is because you can flesh it out now long form yeah, why, why does anybody want to watch something so condensed like a movie and I I am, I was brought up on movies. See, I went to cinemas and I loved the classics. And you're onto something there, because I think there's a there's an element of of people that just like this fucking short little thing. Mm. But then there's another element of people that will listen religiously to like three, four of our podcasts. Mm. I mean, I liked the double albums. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> I love double albums. Okay, I so always thought, oh my god. What was the last double album you bought? Uh, well, EPs. I mean, do you remember that extended play? Okay, well, all the short six songs. Uh, give me a double album. I just used to think, wow, that's value for money. Come on, what was the first double album you bought? ELO, I think it was. Oh, no, oh, Rush. Okay. Rush. They, I think 2112 was the double album. Yeah? But, you know, ELO, yeah. And <laughs> it was an opera, it was, it was extended. You, you, you got to listen to all the lyrics. And they fleshed it out, and they fleshed it out, and so whichever bit, way they little, did it. A little bit self-indulgent, maybe. No, it was just fucking beautiful, though. It was, it was. <laughs> you didn't need to go out again for a couple of weeks, and that's how much I love music. Um, I, I used to buy albums all the time, and it's like, okay, and this is just my opinion about books. And everybody's different about the way they read books and how they like books. I, I, I really do not like short stories. And people looking at me, well, you're not. No, I, I just can't handle short stories. I just, I can't deal with it. Okay, what's the book you've read the most? I don't reread books unless they really, really do something. Okay, so them. tell me the book that you've reread. I don't think I've reread much. Uh, Cavelli's Mandolin. Um, you put me on the spot. I mean, that's really, really, and I haven't been interviewed like that. Being a bookseller, being part of this. Um, yeah, there's, there's stuff I've reread. Um, Noddy. Noddy, yes. Now that was a classic. And Ladybird books, I re I reread all the time because I they, need to. They keep have on, been reformatted yeah. into a very, very digestible format. I mean, you know, people come into the bookshop and go, "What would you recommend?" I'm going, "What the fuck, man? I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. I don't know your reading taste." That's why I love coming in here because I just find random books this is why I like people like you who don't come and say what would you recommend I don't know what you want I don't know what you like I don't know so who I you are get some surprises I can't remember the exact titles because I've had a few drinkies but there are some times I come in here and pick up books and I'm like wow okay. did you ever go into a bookstore in England that you remember when you were a kid or when before you left or either I used to spend a lot of time in libraries just okay. reading just anything. Mm -hmm. Just anything. What yeah. were libraries like then? You know, I mean, I remember libraries. I, I, I was fortunate enough 
to go to university, right? Right, right. So just used to pick up books. Right. And pick them up. And have a little read if I didn't like it. Do you remember those libraries where you had a reference section so you had to go in there and be specially devout about how you touch the books or the reference section and you'd have to I don't know, I, I remember as a kid that there was a reference section in the library that it was kinda of like walk through the gilded cage and you had to and they'd let you in and you'd ask for something specialised, like collecting stamps or Georgian culture, whatever. And I remember sitting in the reference library when I was a kid and my old, well not a kid, I was 17, 18, and my ex-headmaster walked in. He wasn't, he was a deputy headmaster. And he said to me, I thought you'd be here. And I wasn't a nerd, I wasn't a book. I was, I was, I was, a, I was a rebel, I was kind of like running around doing lots of stupid things when I was 17, 18. But he knew that I'd be in the reference part. And it wasn't specialised, I think it was something like growing mushrooms. <laughs> you know, because I was very into horticulture in those days. Very specialised. <laughs> but, you in know. a recreational kind of way. So, were any of your parents, or were they into books, or did oh. you have a, a bookshelf in the house, or? Oh, yeah, 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 full of, full of books, full of books. Lots of Clive Cussler, my dad. Oh, yeah, God, <laughs> give me a Clive bit of Clive Cussler. Cussler. Eh? Yeah, I mean, it's all about marine life and... What kind of books? Dark <laughs> what kind of books? Did, I mean, my mother, God bless her soul, she's dead now, but as kids, we used to kind of like mincely walk around the bookshelves. There's books all over the place, but Jesus Christ, if we touched anything that was a little bit nice, whatever, don't touch that, she used to say. Don't touch it. Okay. And yeah, that's why I opened a bookshop, because <laughs> now I can touch them when I like. But books, that, that's the thing. I mean, and music and everything else. They all come together. Books, music, what else is there? Oh, I don't know. Food, music, fashion. And books. Fashion, no, no, no. Life. Eh? Life, etc. Anyway, that's a great interview. I don't know how to end it, apart from you picking up the guitar and giving us something of your own um, to just give it a little bit of je ne sais quoi. I don't know what it means. It's French or something, but... <coughs> Okay, that's the end of the podcast. That's um, an interview with Mr. Wheatley, um, still playing in the Dickens with his band, The Dirty Tees. Pleasure to talk to him. And if you want to contact Watley, us, Watley, by the way, Watley, Mr. Yeah, Watley. Mr. Watley, yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, good interview, and thank you, uh, Mr. Watley. Bye for now. I hope this. Okay, thank you for listening. That was the last bookshop in Japan. If you would like to donate, you can donate to Infinity Books Japan at gold.com through PayPal. Again, thank you, and um, please re listen to the future recordings. Okay, bye for now.